So, I got a question for you. I got a few, actually. How many of you have one of these? This means you raise your hand at this time. Some of you are just realizing what I'm holding. It's a cell phone. How many of you are using it? (laughs) I'm getting there. (laughs) How many of you have a computer? How many of you have a car? Cool. That's awkward, isn't it? (laughs) Okay, so I want to uh, talk to you a few minutes about technology. Uh, The media guys are going to throw up some pictures for me. So how many of you remember that first image on the top? Some of you are embarrassed to raise your hands. Now, how many of you recognize that lower one on the bottom there or on the side? Okay, now honestly, let's be honest. When you remember that first picture on the top, how many times did you actually really think that you were actually eventually going to see one of those two bottom pictures? Yeah. I mean, I remember growing up where my parents had the dial, the, the one where you, you know, the, you know, it took you a half hour just to actually dial in order to call the person. I remember that, and I never thought ever a day in my life would I ever be able to call my mom while I'm driving or where somewhere, or that I could be in another country and check my email. Or, on top of that, that I'd be able to Skype somebody from another country and talk through video chat. Okay, show us the next one. Uh, (laughs) How many of you remember that first picture? Yeah. Some of you were like, that's my TV! (laughs) They stuck into my living room! (laughs) Now, how many of you recognize that next one? Now, how many of you remember sitting there watching the Jetsons? Yeah, I'm with you. How many of you remember sitting watching the Jetsons on that first one, never imagining or thinking that you would ever, ever be watching American Idol or Who's Got Talent on that next one? Not really, did we? Okay, show us the next one. (laughs) now how many of you remember that first one because i don't (laughs) how many of you remember that now what did you ever foresee that your mom and dad would be driving down the road in that bottom one remember those long vacations that you'd all take as a family in the first one And did you ever imagine that you would see anybody or even your kids or maybe your grandkids driving in that bottom one? (laughs) So you have more faith than I do. Well, the interesting factor, believe it or not, all of those have a common denominator. They all have something in common. Granted, they all don't look the same, and they all have different functions from each other, but one thing is, is that they all have in common is this. They all needed to be upgraded in order to properly function for the future and what the future holds and what is coming for the future, every single one of those things needed to be upgraded. The telephone device needed to be upgraded to properly accommodate where our future was headed. Not only that, but that vehicle, that car, it needed to be upgraded in orderly to properly accommodate the growing families as well as the different terrains that we would be experiencing. 
The TV, I don't know if it really needs to be upgraded or not. Some of you will disagree with me. (laughs) You can take it or leave it. But everything needed to be upgraded in order to properly function for the use of the future. And see, it's interesting because that word future actually means destiny. It means something that is coming. It's, it's forward. It's something that we can't yet see with our eyes. We all have something in common. Even though we're all different, we come from different walks of life and different cultures, we all have something in common. And it's this. We have a future. We have a destiny. The common denominator of having a future and a destiny is two things. But I'm going to first preface it this way. The first one is, for all of us, the Word of God says that we are all appointed to death. Meaning that this outer shell that we currently have will not exist forever. It's destined to perish. But, if you're a follower of Jesus, meaning this, that if you have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart and asked for forgiveness, that you've messed up. And that you yourself cannot supply yourself with eternal living or else get it right, period. And you ask Jesus to come into your heart and to be Lord of your life. You're a follower of Jesus. Well, here's where things change. For all the rest of humanity, we know that we're appointed to die. Eventually, one day, we will live six feet below the ground against our will. But when you're a follower of Christ, this is where things take a different turn. Jesus tells us in the word of God that we will not die physically. Well, we will die physically, but we will not die spiritually. Simply meaning that for us as followers of Christ, we will live on. We will live for the future where we will take residence with the Lord in heaven. Jesus was pretty adamant about that. In fact, that's what he talked about quite a bit. And right now, there was a couple other things that Jesus was talking about because not only did he talk about the importance of life and the importance of the future, but he talked about his return. And we've been talking in this series about looking for Jesus based out of the book of 1 Thessalonians in the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return someday. We don't know the date. Of course, some of the signs downtown tell us different which are false, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But we don't know the date. We don't know the time. But what we do know is that Jesus said some specific things to prepare us to live for the future, to live for his return, his second coming, because according to the scriptures and according to eyewitness, Jesus has already been here once, physically. And Jesus left, and now he is going to return a second time, and that will be the last time. And the reason he is returning is because he is looking to bring back with him his followers that are following him. Now, if you turn on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, it's pretty easy to see the signs that Jesus talked about in the Bible. All over the place, there's earthquakes that are happening. Off the scale. All over, we see that storms are taking the country, hurricanes Winter happening in places that never have ever seen snow before. And then there's wars. Countries within their own countries are fighting. Countries against country, nation against nation. And then there's rumors of wars. All those things, if you look in the Gospels as well throughout the New Testament, Jesus said, as well as other authors, said that those would be some hallmarks 
or some signs to say, pay attention and get ready because Jesus is about to return. Now, the funny thing is, as we were talking this morning before prayer, uh, the pastors, and one of the pastors had mentioned and said, you know, the body of Christ has been preaching this for years. Rumors of wars and earthquakes and storms and all this, and the culture around us is saying, when's it really going to happen? I mean, really, is this really going to happen? I tell you, God is waiting and buying his time out of mercy. And that's one thing that we can respond with. For followers of Jesus, living the future requires an upgrade of our hearts. Living the future requires an upgrade of our hearts. See, just like those devices that I showed you a minute ago, there is a requirement of upgrading. So just like that with our hearts, Jesus wants to upgrade our hearts for the future, for what's in store for us. See, the one thing about Christ is that he loves to take the current and he loves to replace it with the fresh. Now, you're, you're thinking here a minute, for those of you that are English majors, you're saying, that, wait a minute, this does not make sense. Well, it does to Jesus. <laughs> because the current for him, <laughs> that's past. He is so adamant about replacing the current, what's happening right now in our minds and what we're just laying a hold of, with the freshness of the future. One thing that Pastor Don had said moments ago was, he said that God has already gone before us, so he's not going to request us to go someplace that he hasn't already been. So when we think that we're living in the current, and we think that we have it all together right here, right now, Jesus just steps in and says, hey, by the way, mm, that's like so yesterday. Um, I'm way over here, and this is how far I'm ahead of you. So I'm just coming back right now to let you know that I've already taken care of that. And now the next part is for me to get into your heart so I can upgrade your heart and your understanding of the future of what's to come. The Apostle Paul understood the upgrading of the heart. He understood it so much that he had this amazing ability to communicate to the church of Thessalonica about how important it is to have their hearts upgraded for the future, for the return of Christ. Now you've got to understand Thessalonica a little bit. And I'll say this, Thessalonica was known for two things. One, it's immorality. And when I preached a few weeks ago, I talked about the climate of immorality that was in Thessalonica. But the second thing is, not only for their immorality, the other thing that they were known for is because they were an anti-Jesus culture. Meaning that anything that had to do with Christ, anything that had to do with the God of the universe was not welcome. Because all of their other gods, lowercase g, took precedence. Sound familiar? We're living in an antichrist culture. If we think in our minds and in our hearts that we have not yet obtained to that yet, where we're living in an antichrist culture, we have been deceived. An antichrist culture started thousands and thousands of years ago, and it started in the Garden of Eden. Well, actually, it started in heaven when Satan decided to defile God. That's when the antichrist culture set in. Right now, we can see it bubbling up more and more and more. Homosexual marriage is becoming legal. And I just want to reiterate, in the word of God, it did not say that God created Adam and Steve. God created Adam and Eve, man and woman, to be together as one in marriage. We see a rise. I don't know if you're aware of this, but they're trying to legalize marijuana. 
in different states for medicinal purposes. We see at other places of what's going on is that violence is increasing more and more and more. Some of the most heinous crimes are coming to public that we can't even sometimes wrap our human mind around. It is increasing. And not only is those things increasing of the Antichrist culture, but the earth is groaning and telling us that it is ready to be remade, according to Scripture. So in Thessalonica, the followers of Christ had to endure a lot of hardship because they were going against the norm. They were going against what that culture was stating and saying and saying, this is what you got to do if you want to be cool, if you want to be hip, if you want to be in with the latest fad, this is what you need to do. And this group of followers of Christ rise up and they say, no, we can't do that because that goes against the teachings of Jesus. And so they become outcasts and they experience hardship. Which tells us this, as followers of Jesus, living the future means we embrace the adversity. That word adversity means great affliction or hardship. How many of you can honestly say, you know what, I have benefited so much from adversity in my life. I thank God for affliction. How many was the last time you prayed, you know, and you got, you know, you're praying, you know, you're driving to work and you're saying your prayers, you know, in the morning or something and you're like, Lord, I just thank you so much for hardship in my life. Where would I be without that? Did you ever write anybody a card? You know, just, just thinking of you. And you know, I've been praying. I hope God puts you through a lot of turmoil. Some of you would like to send that card. Well, Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 about embracing adversity. And he was talking to followers of Jesus. When I was processing this, I thought about this. You know, God, when Jesus was on the earth, he never promised everything would go smooth. He never promised that we would have this real quick, simple deliverance from everything around us. There's actually more scripture that outweighs the quick deliverance that we've been taught over the years. That states that there comes a time where as followers of Christ, we need to embrace the adversity. Look with me in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It says this, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul tells this group of followers of Christ in Thessalonica in this anti-Jesus culture. It sounds like a real mushy, fluffy letter. All right, everyone. As a pastor, I want to encourage you. Be joyful always in affliction. Pray continuously and give joy and rejoice in all circumstances. And I could just imagine these guys are probably on the other end, unfolding and reading this letter. They're all huddled together and they're saying, yeah, easy for you to say, Paul. Easy for you to say. I'll tell you how to rejoice. I'll talk to you about joy and affliction. I tell you what. 
But there was something here that was powerful that Paul was trying to describe, not only to the church at that time, but to us as followers of Jesus. Because if you notice this, Paul moves from his current circumstances and moves to his inward man on the inside. Meaning that Paul removed himself and saying, all right, I realize that there is financial, in, there is financial instability before me. I realize that, you know what, I'm dealing with some broken relationships right now. I realize that my marriage is going down the tubes. Now, Paul wasn't married, but I'm referencing this to us right now. Paul, he's saying, you know, I realize that your marriage is going down the tubes. I realize that persecution has increased. I realize that you are living in an antichrist culture, but I am telling you this. Move from your circumstance into the inward man that God is training up and preparing you for. You see, that's all about embracing adversity. We have this thing called a spirit man that Jesus talks about in the word. Meaning that all of this is not our reality, but what is inside here. This which will live forever is our reality. It's our destiny. So Paul doesn't retreat. He's not a sissy. He doesn't retreat from his circumstances and runs and hides. No, he strategically moves himself inward to his spirit man and learns how to embrace adversity. And he understood this, that regardless of our current difficulties, we always have grounds for celebration as followers of Christ. I just want to repeat that. Regardless of our difficulties or our circumstances, we always have grounds for celebration as followers of Jesus. Let me explain that. So regardless of what's happening in the marketplace right now, we still have grounds to celebrate. Regardless of what's going on in your home right now, still got grounds to celebrate. When the government starts to make decisions that go against the word of God that we believe Jesus stated, we still got grounds to celebrate. When we're not raptured out, when we think we should be raptured out, and we might think that God has left us, we still got grounds to celebrate. Let me give you some examples. Number one, we have salvation. We have this divine gift that God has given to us and says that I love you so much that I want to spend the rest of eternity with you. So I'm going to create an avenue for you to spend the rest of your life with me. It's called salvation. It's what I talked about a few moments ago. Grounds for celebration. Another ground for celebration is we serve the God of the universe, the one who created life, the one who set the stars in the skies, the one who gives us the air to breathe and to exhale. We serve a God who oversees and overrules any other God that would try to erect itself or even exists. Grounds for celebration. How about we have the ability to walk in the power of Jesus that he did the same things on earth. We have that divine ability to, given to us that we can do the same thing and that we can overcome powers and principalities and darkness and all those other things. That is ground for celebration. Some of you are sitting here, you've had family members that have been delivered out of circumstances that were absolutely humanly impossible to be delivered from, and they were divinely delivered. Grounds for celebration. 
if you notice what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, he puts this importance of coupling rejoicing with prayer and thanksgiving. Because you can't have one without the other. We have to have our rejoicing, our prayer, and our thanksgiving together because our prayer and our rejoicing actually creates, our prayer and our thanksgiving creates our rejoicing. Have you ever imagined what Paul was trying to communicate when he said pray without ceasing? Think about that for a minute. Stay-at-home moms. That's a full-time job. I don't care what anybody else says. That is a full-time job. Yeah, give it up. Let me give you a typical day at a stay-at-home mom. I'm just going to get in my secret place. I'm just going to go in and pray to Jesus. The kids are down sleeping. Chores are done. Dishes are washed. Jesus, I love you. Mom! Jesus, just quiet the voices. Lord, I am so thankful. Mom! Lord, I'm so thankful. Mom! Lord, thank you. You're going to shut them up. Jesus, just thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, thank you. Mom! Excuse me one minute, Lord. Yes? I forgot. Okay. Thanks. Oh, Jesus, it's so good to be in your presence. Mom! It's so good to be in your presence. Mom! Or how about you're at work? Just trying, to, just trying to pray at your desk. And the employee next to you keeps coming over. Hey man, you know what I did this weekend? You're just trying to pray. What'd you do this weekend? Man, I got so hammered, dude. I couldn't see straight, you know, man. Okay, great. You know, thank you. I appreciate it. So they leave and you can, thank you, God. I just, you know, and then all of a sudden your employer comes and drops a big old fat assignment on your desk. Hey, I need this done by, oh, five o'clock today. So how in the world do we pray without ceasing like Paul was talking about? None of us have really been able to give ourselves over to full-time prayer and separate ourselves from society and give ourselves over to just spending time in the presence of Jesus. So what was Paul really talking about when he said pray without ceasing? It was an encouragement to the body of Christ to say that I want you to remain focused on God's agenda continually. It wasn't so much about go and get away 24-7 right now in this moment and dedicate yourself to continuous prayer. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, I want you to come to a place where you learn to put the agenda of God on your heart so that you are continuously doing what he desires. And what I love about this is when we get with God's agenda, we understand that regardless of our circumstances or our problems, they become relevant because we know that God wins. We serve a winning God. We serve a winning God. I'll let that sink in a moment. We come to a place as followers of Jesus that regardless of what goes on in our lives, Jesus always wins. Think about that. Regardless of what's going on, regardless of your job loss, regardless of the disease that you're fighting, regardless of a relationship that you're involved in that's not going right according to what you want, Jesus always wins. Let me say this. When adversity strikes, 
And when we are crying out to God and we wonder if God has not heard us or God has forgotten about us, we must return to the word of God and what it says, that it reminds us that regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how big the army may be, regardless of how rough our government may be or what our government controls, we must remember this, Jesus always wins. He always wins. Always. He'll have the last say. The word of God says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Thank you. So the reality is, is Jesus isn't staying in heaven forever. He is returning. And yes, salvation is an amazing benefit because we will go with Christ. We will be part of his army according to the word of God. But pay attention to this. Adversity will forerun his arrival. Adversity will forerun his arrival. This is why Paul says it's so important that we combine our prayer and our thanksgiving so that our result will be rejoicing. Because with adversity, Christ will come and bring adversity with him. But prior to Christ's return, there will still be adversity for those who follow Christ. So how are we going to handle that? If God always wins, then how are we going to handle that? Are we going to hunker down and start to cry and, you know, be like, Oh, Jesus forgot me. Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Oh, maybe we should go and like go get the government and be with the Antichrist. Hmm. No, no, no. You see, the reality is, is God wins. And if we don't understand the importance of thanksgiving and, re- and prayer right now and building up this arena with inside of us of rejoicing to overcome adversity, we will not make it. If you think you have it bad now, just wait till the Antichrist arrives on the earth. It's going to start to heat up real fast. Our incessant prayer and thanksgiving is intimately linked with our future joy. That's where we gather our strength to overcome. Which brings us to this. Living the future means that we breathe with the Spirit. I want you to do something right now. For some of you, this will actually wake you up. I want you to take a deep breath in through your nose. Hold it. Now let it out slow through your mouth. Some of you need a mint. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going somewhere with this, but Jesus, before he ascends, he's crucified, is put into the grave, and within three days he's resurrected. And before he ascends, he gives the disciples two promises. One, I am going to send my Holy Spirit to you. Two, I am returning for you. Those are two things, two promises that he left. So Jesus dies, he's resurrected in three days, but the word of God tells us that he hung out for 40 days after his resurrection. That he hung with his disciples for 40 days in this resurrected body as Christ. He hung with them for 40 days. Before he leaves, he gives them very important instruction and he says this. Wait on the Holy Spirit that I am about to send to you. 
Now, you got to understand that this was not new to the disciples. This wasn't like, Holy Spirit, what's that? You know, they weren't wondering what the Holy Spirit was. They knew what the Holy Spirit was because the Old Testament scriptures taught about the Ruach HaKadosh. The Ruach HaKadosh, which is another word for holy wind. The holy wind that God would release on his people to empower them to demonstrate the power and the presence of God. That's what God has given to us. God has given to us the Holy Spirit. The Ruach HaKadosh, the holy wind, has given to us so that we are able to demonstrate the power and the presence of Jesus Christ to those who do not know Jesus. And this is why it is so important that we breathe with the Spirit. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to what is good. So how many of you in here breathe? Some of you are like, well... (laughs) It's natural, right? Does your brain ever tell you, hey, breathe? Do Do you ever, like, sit there and the brain kicks in and says, breathe? Exhale? Okay, inhale? Okay, exhale? No, it doesn't. We were created in such an awesome and miraculous way that our brain does it for us. It regulates our body, so we're able to inhale when needed. We're able to exhale when we have to. But here's the thing. If you take away our inhale and our exhale, what's the result? Death. So God creates our bodies to function through inhaling and exhaling, to bring in fresh air and to exhale out other air. In the same way, God created our dependency upon the Holy Spirit. That our inner man be nurtured by the breath of the Spirit so that we do not die spiritually. So that we are able to breathe with the Spirit and inhale the revelations of God and exhale with obedience. One of the greatest things that we will need before the return of Christ is our dependency upon the Holy Spirit. The time that we need the most of exhaling and inhaling of the Spirit is prior to the return of Christ. And the reason for this is, is because the enemy will be increasing his agenda more and more, and we must be able to discern what is of God versus what is not of God. So take another breath and exhale. Paul was talking about a relationship with Jesus for followers of Christ that was so close to the the Spirit of God that just the way we breathe, we don't have to tell ourselves to inhale, to exhale, to inhale, to exhale. We don't have to tell ourselves that our body automatically does it. Paul was saying that the relationship between us and the Holy Spirit must be so much like our bodies that it becomes natural for us to walk with God that we inhale the things of the Spirit and we exhale with obedience. And we don't have to think about it. That we don't have to tell ourselves, listen to the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, listen to the Spirit. That's where God wants us to be. That is the upgrade for our future that God is talking about. So here's my question to you. What are we breathing? Hello, I'm the world. And I'm trying to pray. Do you mind? Oh, no. No, I'm sorry. Lord, send me. Here, my Lord, send me. I thought we were going to, you know, 
Do the shh. Hello. Do you not see I'm having a conversation with the Almighty? Here am I, Lord. Send me. Where's he going to send you to? Uh, sign language school? No. He's going to send me to all the people that are hurting in the world that need to know the Lord. Shh. Oh, you, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm hurting. In fact, just last week, I had this situation where I didn't know what I was going to do. Okay, okay, okay. Do you not see that I'm, that I'm praying to God? I'm trying to get instruction on where to go next, okay? And that voice is a still, small voice. It's still, and it's small, and it's a voice. And your voice is big, and it's animated, and it's loud, and it overpowers anything. Well, you see where I'm going with this. Here, my Lord, send me. Sorry. Maybe God was... Okay, God, we're going to have to um, finish this a different time at a different place uh, because someone keeps interrupting. See <sighs> that pop? Those are my prayer knees. Maybe God was sending you to me because I'm hurting. Does your pop know your prayer needs? You know what's interesting? Is that when we breathe with the Holy Spirit, we are able to know where God needs us and when he needs us. The testimony that Big Rick gave earlier in the service was a prime example of breathing with the Spirit, of being to breathe with the Spirit, and breathing with the Spirit is saying to us and exhaling out with obedience. I tell you, church, there is coming a day where adversity is going to increase for the body of Christ, where it is going to press us from all sides. And if we remain in a place of thanksgiving and rejoicing and in a place of prayer and we begin to breathe with the Spirit, God will begin to show us those who do not know Christ, those that are dear to his heart, that he wants us to come to and say, Jesus has a plan for you, and this is not the end result. God has something greater for you. But if we are not breathing in the Holy Spirit, if we are not in relationship with the Holy Spirit, if we are not giving ourselves over to that type of relationship, and we are breathing in the spirit of an antichrist culture and other things, we will miss those opportunities. And people will be lost. I am a firm believer. God talks a lot about the body of Christ not only being a bride, but he talks about us being warriors. Warriors are not created to sit the bench. Warriors are not created to learn and be trained and equipped and never go into battle. They are designed to go to battle. And I believe that the body of Christ is being trained to be a warrior, army of warriors that are ready to face that which is to come. And to be an army, a company of people who go out to win souls against a culture that says otherwise. But it will look a lot different than what we have ever seen before. So Paul speaks to the church again and he talks about and he says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Now before this, I got to go back here and I got to say this. That word quench... In the word of God, it says, do not quench the spirit. It actually means to deliberately disobey the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be in that type of relationship. 
But Paul goes on to say this about the prophetic. The prophetic is the ability to hear God and speak his heart with relevance. Now you're saying, now wait a minute, you know, why would Paul speak to the church of Thessalonica and say, don't despise prophecies? Because prophecies are from God, right? Thessalonica was being so overrun with false communication, with the name of God in it, that followers of Jesus tried, decided to play it safe and say, you know what? We don't know who's speaking who anymore. We don't know what is from God versus what isn't from God. So you know what? We're just going to can the whole thing. And so if anybody speaks up and says it's from God, shh, we're just going to shut them out. And Paul says this, don't do that. Don't do that because Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 that there will rise false teachers. There will rise false prophets. There will rise false prophecies. But Jesus is still speaking. Jesus has not stopped speaking. Jesus told us there would be rumors of wars and wars. But also with that will come false teachers. Also will come with that is false prophecies. And I guarantee you, it's already been happening. And this is why Paul tells us not to quench the Spirit, because we need to be able to hear what God is saying to us. That's why we need to examine everything, including theology. You know, we can examine somebody's character, and they can have flawless character. But if their theology does not match the Word of God, that's a red flag to us. I guarantee you, the first three years where the Antichrist makes himself known, his character will be up to par. People will think he is the greatest thing since sliced bread. His character is spotless. But is anybody going to ask him about his theology? The mere claim that God is in it is not good enough for us. The mere claim that God is in it is not good enough for us as followers of Christ. That's why Paul says, test all things. Breathing in with the Holy Spirit gives us that ability to be able to discern or distinguish between what is good and what is evil. But if we're not in that relationship with the Holy Spirit, we can't make out either or. Some ways that we can test what God is saying is, first of all, ask where the source is. What source is it coming from? Is it coming from God or is it coming from Satan? The second thing we have to ask is what is the motive behind it? If somebody says this is God, then what's the motive? Is the motive an inward selfish thing or is the motive something that is good, that promotes your health? And third, does it align with scripture? Does it really align with the word of God or doesn't it? And finally, Living the future means to live beyond offense. Live beyond offense. So it was Saturday night in the city of Erie where a family laid down their two-year-old daughter for bed. The next morning they arose to find that she wasn't there because Elizabeth, two years old, had been kidnapped by a 22-year-old beaten brutally, sexually assaulted, and died. Rocked our community. It's still rocking our community. 
I'm the father of a two-year-old daughter. I was offended. I was really angry. It wasn't my child. Some of the conversations or some of the comments that I had regarding the situation, I had to ask forgiveness for. Because my immediate thought as a father rose up within me and I wanted to defend my daughter, even though she was totally fine. I wanted to defend this girl because of what had happened to her because that was somebody else's daughter. And out of my human nature, I retaliated like the world retaliated. I had to learn to live beyond offense. And you can say, yeah, but, you know, Pastor Jason, we totally understand. You know, we have kids or, you know, it, it's cool. You're human, you know, all this stuff. Yes, I realize that we're human, but God is calling us to a different level to live in. And if this rocked our community, this is reality. This is not fake. This is reality. If this rocked our community and the Antichrist is rising up more and more before the return of Christ, imagine what is going to take place that is even worse. Will we be able to live beyond offense of what is happening around us? When your employer offends you, will you be able to live beyond it? It says that even the elect will fall. In your marriages, if your spouse decides to take another turn, will you be able to live beyond offense and still love them through it? If you are stripped from your home and told that you can no longer live if you so choose to confess Christ as your Savior, will you live beyond offense? This is why God is so adamant about the body of Christ overcoming offense with one another. Because if we can't get it right within our own community, how are we going to live it out among those who don't even know Jesus? And then on top of that, what if all that we have been taught all of our lives, that the minute a little bit of hardship touches the tip of our tongues, that God just miraculously sweeps us away, and that doesn't happen. Will we be able to overcome offense at God? Will we be able to still rejoice and thank him that, you know what, we're still alive and that he's still in control and that he always wins regardless? You've heard us preach it from this pulpit, Pastor Jack as well. We are not saying anything because we are just saying that you need to be prepared regardless. I pray that I'm 100% wrong, that in the midst of persecution comes, we are gone from here. But I am preparing my heart and my mind that we will be here till the very end and when Christ returns. Why live in the safe zone when we can live in the adventurous zone? and be totally prepared for anything to come. Look at verse 22. Paul says, Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. Circle that word sanctify. Sanctify you through 
And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one, who calls you faith, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So Paul encourages us to hold ourselves free from every kind of evil that tries to persuade us or states that it's with the Spirit of God. When Paul wrote this, the the context of this scripture was not just hold yourself away from the temptations of habits, hold yourself away from the temptations of pornography. This is not what Paul was talking about. Paul was saying, hold yourself away from the temptation of the evil one who is going to arise to take the world. He was saying, hold yourself away from the temptation of giving up when it gets bad. Do not give yourself over to the things that are of the evil one because there are going to come, there's coming a day where the Antichrist will say that he's of the Lord. And even if God is quote-unquote in it, Paul tells us, do not be persuaded, but hold fast to what is good. That word sanctify that I had you circle means to separate from the profane things. It means those things that are degraded, that are sacred. And the number one mission of the Antichrist is to degrade that which is sacred, the name of Christ. It also means to remain accountable through vulnerability, meaning to purify internally through the renewing of our soul. Which means this, that body, if we are not together in unison, if we are not able to talk to each other, and be vulnerable with one another in these days, then before the return of Christ comes, we will not start implementing it then either, which will cause us to slip away. When it talks about the renewing of the soul, that talks about the mind, the will, and the emotions. And if we are going to live beyond offense, we need to renew the mind. We need to renew the mind. An individual from this community this week had presented me with an email and asked me this question. When it comes to confronting evil, how can we balance the intense feelings we experience during these times while also keeping our faith in God that his will may be done and that although tempting, it's not our justice to bestow? Good question. So as I pondered on that, I began to search the scriptures, and the Lord gave me Romans 12, too. It says this, according to the message. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I love what the author of the message puts it this way, but he says this, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That comes through the renewing of the mind. 
That is how we overcome offense. We live beyond offense. is through the renewing of the mind on a daily basis so that we do not become so much like the culture that it becomes second nature to us. But that we respond to the upgrading that God wants to do in our hearts for the return of Christ. The quickening response comes from the renewing of our minds, which then enables us to live beyond offense. I'm going to close with this thought. We're ending this series today on looking for Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we claim to have the answer that we've already found what we're looking for. If that's true, And if we have the answer for a culture that is out among us that is looking for something other than Jesus, are we willing to bring that to them? Regardless of the cost. Second thing is this. Are we willing, if we are looking for Jesus constantly, I think about this. In the scriptures, it says that Jesus ascended, telling the disciples that he would return for them. Now, their thought process was that Jesus was going to return while they were alive. The intensity these guys must have lived with, waiting, wondering, sitting on a veranda having coffee. This could be the day that Christ returns walking through the market, grabbing a fresh loaf of bread. Hmm. This could be the day Jesus returns. Riding in their carts to the next town over to talk to people about Jesus. This could be the day Christ returns. So you go to Wegmans for your coffee today. This could be the day Jesus returns. So you go home to your family dinner. You plan on taking a nap afterwards. This could be the day Jesus returns. Pick all your clothes out before you go to work tomorrow. Iron them nice and neat. Set your alarm clock to plan to wake up at 6. Have your morning coffee. Tomorrow Jesus could return. So what are we living for? Are we living for the Gucci? Are we living for the Prada, the Gap, the Abercrombie? Are we living for the next car to come out? Are we living for the next iPhone? Are we living for the next media craze? Are we living for what? What what are we living for? Are we living looking for Jesus? So I'm going to ask that you would stand. I'm just going to pray for you because I thought numerous ways of ending this time with this message. And it came to my mind. You just got to live it. You got to live it. It came to my mind and realized that no one here now can claim ignorance. You have to live it you're now held responsible. 
take some weight off my shoulders. So I'm going to ask you this last question, and I'm going to pray for you. Who are you looking for, and what are you living for? Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, the word seems to be more of a guidebook for us, more of an instructional book for us as we get closer to the return of your son. Father, it seems as though you're pressing on the hearts of men and women to be searching because they're tired of what they have found. They're searching for something greater, something that's stable. And Father, I pray that as we continue to read the word as followers of Christ and our minds are renewed, and that our hearts are being upgraded over and over and over in preparation for the future. I pray, Lord, that we would not be like little children who hold on to this secret little knowledge, Lord God, and say, look what I have. But I pray, Lord, that we would be eager to share with those who are in need. And Father, I pray that it would be a testing of our spirits, that we would look deep inward to say, are we prepared for the return of Christ? Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill our nostrils, that as we inhale you continuously and exhale you, I pray that we would follow through with obedience and that we would see where you are at work so that we can be there and available to extend to those that need this extended to. Father, we do not claim to know anything. What we want to claim to know is the heart of Jesus. And Father, I pray that if we are not living for you, and if we are not looking for you, that you would change our view. Renew our view, Lord, and renew our hearts with the reality of heaven. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we look forward to the day that we will stand before your throne. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.